This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the All-Star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered. We're going to have a lot of fun today with David Feldman with the top 10 list that we like to do. But this time it's going to be family feud style and it's going to be baseball cliches. Andy Martino, who is the author of Cheated on the Astros, who works for SNY in New York, cannot wait for you to hear this. I mean, these Astros, unbelievable. And Travis Shachik, senior MLB writer for The Score, will also join us. But first, let's play The Family Feud. I got to tell you, when I was a kid, I loved Family Feud. And I always loved how Richard Dawson was so creepy. He was always kissing everybody. I mean, it was a different (laughs) time. But he was a phenomenal host. Name that feud. He was. He was. Family feud. There we go. Oh, yeah, there you go. Richard Dawson. He did kiss everybody. So we have the top 10 all-time baseball cliches on the board. Yeah, we have probably even more than 10, to be honest with you. There are a lot of baseball cliches. And, and Cody, fire it up. This is the greatest cliche speech in the history of cinematic films from the movie mm, Bull Durham. Teach me something new, man. I need to learn. something. Well, you got something to write with? Good. It's time to work on your interviews. My interviews? What do I got to do? You're going to have to learn your cliches. You're going to have to study them. You're going to have to know them. They're your friends. Write this down. We got to play them one day at a time. Got to play. It's pretty boring. Of course it's boring. That's the point. (laughs) Write it down. I love that. All right, I'm just happy to be here. Now I hate that. Hope one. I can help the ball club. <laughs> That's good. I know. Write it down. I just want to give it my best shot, and the good Lord willing, I, I things got will that. work out. Good. I got it. Lord willing, things, things will work, work out. out. Yep. I mean, is that classic? Oh. And, it, and it's true. Like, you know, Tony, I'm just happy to be here. You know, it, it's funny that from a radio now slash streaming standpoint, I've basically been the first interview for most all these guys all this year. Yeah. I mean, they'll talk to the press, and then they give them to me, and I'll be the first time that they're and, – and to watch them grow as men – you know, like talking to someone now, like when Josh Donaldson first came up to what he is now, it's, it's, it's been fun to watch these guys. Already, are we ready to play the family feud? You ready to go? Yeah, I'm ready, yeah. All right. I thought we were going to get some more music. I now. thought so, too. Uh, uh, they're, they're, this, this is a one-man production crew. It's hard for me to do all of it. You don't have the soundboard ready to go? I, with this setup, it's hard for me to play all the drops and everything at the same time. I'll do the best I can. All right. Baseball cliches. Here we go, Cody. You go first. It's a beautiful day for baseball. See, I don't think that's a cliche. Bam. No. Because that's Give me it. my buzzer. Yeah, yeah. I, I think some cliches have some some truth to them. I think a beautiful day for baseball. Let's play two, Ernie Banks. I think that's legit. I don't I don't find that uh, a cliche. So that's not on the board. Wow, one strike already. All right. You know, I just I'm just gonna look at the back of the baseball card. Yeah, that one. That one's brutal. <laughs> <laughs> that's the back of the baseball. And we somebody dropped that the other day. Um, Sean Casey drops it all the time. No, one of the the athletics did. Um, It was Elvis Andrus dropped it about Matt Chapman. He said you got to look at – sometimes you have to tell him to look at the back of his baseball card. Now, is that uh, an actual (laughs) – 
is that actual like actual cardboard baseball card or an electronic baseball I mean, card? Because now you'd say you got to go look on your baseball reference page, right? I mean, that's what you're basically saying. Because that used to be your only source of of baseball statistics were baseball cards, and that's where that saying came from. If you were a good player, go look on the back of your baseball card. If you didn't have any time, go look on your back of your baseball card. It's a little outdated now. It doesn't have any truth because while baseball cards are making a comeback. There is a big market going on again. Baseball cards aren't used for reference. They're not used for statistics anymore. Baseball reference, maybe. But uh, baseball cards, no. All right, I'm on the board, baby. He's pitching lights out. Yeah, lights out. We hear that a lot in baseball. Lights out. He's lights out. He's lights out. So, so we're here at the Coliseum. We've experienced lights out. Fact. Mike Fires literally pitched lights out when he pitches no hitter. There was one earlier this year too. And there right? was one earlier this year. But as a cliche, what does it mean? He's pitching lights out. He's turning your lights off. What I does have that no mean? Idea. I have no idea. He's lights out. Yeah. Well, um, one that gets abused around here all the time, and we make fun of it. Uh, he's a professional hitter. Yeah, professional hitter. So you're a major league baseball player. Pretty much means you're being paid, which pretty much you know, prerequisite to be a professional. So you are now a professional hitter. So uh, even the guys all the way down that are in instructional league right now, they're getting paid. So you're a professional hitter, you're a professional, and professional hitter. pitcher. You know, and I know where it came from. You know, they're trying to say, well, he, you know, he hits it's like a like a pro. He hits 270 and he goes the other way and he goes to hit and run. He's a professional hitter, but that's not. He's an accomplished hitter. Maybe something more. Maybe we're legit. Professional hitters. They're all professional hitters except for when the pitchers hit. They're not being paid to hit, and they're terrible. All right, Cody. He's a good thrower of the baseball. <laughs> See, that's just bad English. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my biggest problem with that. Not as much as a cliche. It's just bad English. He's a good thrower of the baseball. It's like with the people in football. They always say football for everything, right? That, he, that's another one. He's a good thrower of the football. He's a good thrower of the football. He's a, he runs the football. He scores the football. It's a football move. It's a football move. Uh, no, no, a thrower. That's such horrible, but horrible English. Terrible. So that is a no-go? I, I, I guess it is. Wow, know, I'm I about know. to win this thing. <laughs> um, Matt, 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 um, Matt Kane. Um, he was known as a horse. He's a horse. Yeah, so there's there's a couple with the horse. There's He pitches like a horse, and fielders and base runners get on their horse. Where do horses come involved in baseball? <laughs> Why do we have so many horses? Should they get on Matt Kane to run the bases? On his horse. He got on his horse. Who's getting on all these horses? It's almost like we're like Seinfeld. <laughs> How do you get horses? How do you get horses? Where's the horse? Why is there a horse on the field? <laughs> I don't know. Horse. I'm yeah. a Mets fan. I've never seen a horse at Shea Stadium. <laughs> He's on his horse or he is a horse. Yeah, that's a bad one. Give me a uh, I'm on there. Okay. I'm going to go about, okay, if we're going to talk Matt Cain, what's another one? Bochy Shelly Drop. He's a competitor. Yes, yes. He competes. He competes. He's a competitor. Uh, yeah, that's that's what they're doing. They're playing baseball. It's a competitive game. Pretty much everybody out there is competing. I know you're trying to emphasize, but really, is he more competitive than the other guy? And if you're not a competitor, if he doesn't say you're a competitor, then you're a slacker. That's a bad description of a baseball player or competitor. I've never understood this one. He's a glue guy. Yeah, that's on there. The glue guy. Wait, wait, wait. He's got glue on him? He's got glue. He's the glue. He's, he's Lester Hayes. He goes around and he's got stick him. <laughs> well, maybe now you need a glue guy with all the pitchers out there. Maybe that is a thing. Hold on a second. He's the spider tech guy? Yeah, he's, he's the glue guy. He's the glue guy. Yeah, you know, these guys who are good clubhouse men. Good good clubhouse guys are a glue guy. They keep everybody stick, stuck together. <laughs> I, I, I don't really know what that means. <laughs> all right, Cody. Good cut. Meaning, like, when you swing at a bad pitch, good cut. Like, when you're swinging, like. No, nah, I think there's validity in that one. Oh, come on. He's like a good cut. Yeah, that's okay. That's not a cliche. Wow, you are awful at this. <laughs> well, actually, the, the list I found online is awful. Because all the good ones we already, you already used already are the ones I usually come up with. What was Oral Hershiser? Oh, a bulldog. He was a bulldog. <laughs> that goes into your horse. <laughs> Naming anybody after an animal. So that's already on the board. Ah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I really hate this, and I, I mean, I hate this one, and it's used in baseball. It's the one day at a time. It's like, can't, can't we, we have to talk about stuff. We have to talk about it, and we got to talk about it every day after the game. I'm sorry. I have to analyze it. 
I can't take it one day at a time. I need something refreshing. I've got to be able to talk about, like, other teams coming to town and matchups and everything. We take it one day at a time here, Tony. I know. I know. The Bob game Melvin in front of you. That. That's that's the game that you play. You know, the chapter of the story is today. And then the next day you turn the page. <laughs> to what? Yeah, you always, but you know what? Look at your scorebook. When you come to the ballpark the next day, what do you do? You, you turn the page, right? You got to fill it out again. There's a little bit of validity. You turn the page. That game is done now. You're turning the page. And basically all the notes I have here go all yeah, here, too. It's again. the same thing every day. Now you know why people go to the computerized scorebook. This one, this one could go either way. The, what, I hate when people say he's seeing the ball well. Yeah, no, that's – Because are you seeing the ball bad? Yeah, that's the thing. You're seeing it bad or you're not seeing it. You're seeing the ball well. Uh, I know there's some validity to that. Sometimes you're seeing it better if you've uh, gotten some certain medication and you're seeing the ball really well. Uh, other guys – but you never hear him say he's seeing the ball bad. That's it's, that's, that's a bad again. It's – He's seeing the ball well. Is the good Lord willing really a cliche? No, that's more of a, what's the word for that? You know, sort of a gospel saying. Yeah, sort of that's thing. why I don't I don't think that's actually a cliche. No, I, I, I love Bull Durham. It's my favorite baseball movie, but and that is a great scene. But, yeah, I don't think that the good Lord willing is actually a cliche. But it sets up with a good world. You know, good Lord willing, I'll do my best today. Yeah. You know, it's kind of what you add to something. And then always, I'm just here to help the ball club. Oh, my God. And why Why is it a ball club? It's a baseball team. Why is it a ball club? Well, but, you know, remember, in baseball, you have a clubhouse. In football, you have a locker room. Correct. Baseball is a clubhouse, so baseball club works. NBA, locker room. Yep. Uh, hockey, it's the room. Just the room. It's just the room. Yeah. Don't ever step on the logo in the lock in the room either. And by the way, when you're in that room, you go out, you leave that room to go play in a barn, not a multi-billion-dollar arena. <laughs> it's called a barn, barn in yeah. hockey. Yeah. And no, I'm not wearing a $200 jersey sweater. I'm wearing a sweater. Yeah, sweater. Better get it right. <laughs> that one confused me as a kid. The whole sweater thing. Because yeah. not growing up with hockey. And they would say, sweat. I'm like, so what, that's wool? Is it cashmere? What kind of sweater you got? Yeah. It's very What's that red dot? That. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what else you got? I, I got one. Uh, Tyson's here. He's a professional hitter. I hate when people go, he's a major leaguer. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't realize I was watching Stockton play, and we're watching uh, low-A baseball. So, and that goes to the other one. It's the major league pop-up. You heard that? Broadcasters yeah. use that a yeah. lot. It's a major league pop-up. Anything that goes uh, high in the air on the infield, that's a major league pop-up. And they're not going to see that in the minors, Townie. Nobody's hitting the ball like that, that. That's a minor league pop-up? Yeah, it's it's a ridiculous turn of phrase. Major league pop-up. What, is, what does that mean? Yes, this is we're in the majors, he had a pop-up. So, yeah, technically it's a major league pop-up. You know, it, it, really good broadcasting, like in broadcast school, they want you to stay away from crutches, you know, saying the same sure. thing over and over again. And really, these cliches have been crutches for play-by-play -play guys for over 100 years. Yeah, and that's the problem. That's how they get into the lexicon. And then it gets repeated over and over and yeah. over again ad nauseum. And you just hear it, and you're like, ah. So let me give you one that I just, the ad nauseum that I hate. I love the Major League pop-up. I didn't think about that. <laughs> Major League pop-up. This one I hate, and broadcasters use it, writers use it, and it drives me insane. He's had good success. Okay, success is inherently good, so it's redundant. Okay, <laughs> it's good success. It's what, does he have bad success? What, what's bad success? Now, I actually did come up with a definition of bad success that I can't say here, but yeah, there's there's very it's good success, and people fall into it. He has had a lot of success. He's been successful, but good success is it's redundant. It's success. He's had success against this guy. It's like very unique. Unique in its own is not a, a gradient. Unique is to itself. It's not very unique. There's not, you know, measured of uniqueness there. It's just unique. That actually is a really good one. Well, yeah, because if you, if you think about it. Um, you stink success? Yeah, well, not only that, in a, in a sport where you can fail seven to ten times and be a Hall of Famer, that's successful. Yes. So what's, what is good success then? Good success. <laughs> it's just success. You have success against this pitcher. He's had good success against this pitcher. Well, has he had bad success? It doesn't make any sense to me. We gotta, people got to stop saying it.
There's one on this list that I found. It says he hit the ball squarely. Hit that ball squarely. Yeah, that 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 is one. Well, the the way then the way they defined it is pretty good. How do you hit a round ball with a round bat squarely? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he hit it squarely. Which goes to my favorite Will Clark cliche: hitting on the screws. That's on here too. That's all he would you'd say. Wow, hitting on the screws. Hit what, on the screws. What screws are in the bat? I don't know. <laughs> that sounds illegal to me. <laughs> and the other one you hear that is is pitchers. You know, either I I had my best stuff. Or I didn't have my best stuff, right? Stuff. What? What's, what do you talk? You, your pitches. What do you? What do you? What do you mean stuff? So like a great example of that was Jimmy Haynes, former A's pitcher. Jimmy Haynes would go out. He'd get rocked. He'd give up seven runs, three homers, and you'd go to him in the in the clubhouse after the game for the post game interview. And every time he'd go, "Well, I had my good stuff. I had my good stuff." Well, what do you? You just got ripped out there. If that's your good stuff, then then you're not having good success. And usually having good stuff has nothing to do with baseball. No. <laughs> I'll give you one for pitching coaches. You need to build a house down there. You never heard that? I don't think I've heard that. So pounding the strike zone down. You got to build a house down there. Wait, you're building a, you're building a house where? <laughs> down in the strike zone you're building a house? Oh, yeah. There's pitching coaches have said that for years. God. Here's here's one. That's, and, and Ray dropped this the other day. Uh, there was a bad call by the umpire. Uh, like he called a strike, and it was typically a ball. And he said, "Oh, he must have reservations for dinner tonight. <laughs> He's trying to get the game over quick. He got reservations for dinner." And you hear this, like, "No, why do we keep saying this? You have reservations for dinner? That means he's speeding up the game. Nobody has reservations for dinner, especially when it's a night game. We can't use this." Well, that's the that's the you're you're questioning the integrity of the game, <laughs> right? I mean, you're now saying. This guy is going to call stuff that he shouldn't call just because he wants to get back over to San Francisco and go to dinner tonight. Because he's got reservations for dinner. Now, now you're kind of questioning, well, wait a minute, this is like a rigged card game. <laughs> what, what about, that's a good piece of hitting. Are, what, what about, is, is that a bad piece of hitting? Are we kind of, are we, yeah, <laughs> you can actually have a bad I know, piece but of like, hitting. Uh, yeah, that one's a tough You hear that one a lot. Uh, for pitchers hitting, though, you always hear, helped his own cause. He helped his own cause. Jacob DeGrom helps his own cause. He's helped his own cause. Well, okay, everybody else is helping him too, and he's pitching, and that helps us. You only ever hear that with pitchers hitting, helped his own cause. What, does he have like a foundation or something? Is that what that is? He has has a Jacob DeGrom foundation. (laughs) He just helped his own cause. What about, why is a guy an ace? What what does that mean? Because you're number one. He's an ace? You're an ace. He's like an ace pilot. He's an ace. Like, well, what is he? Ace. Maybe his name's Ace. Maybe he's Ace Freely from Kiss. You don't know. Uh, this one has always bugged me. Uh, circus catch. <laughs> I've been to a few circuses. I've never seen anybody catch anything. It's a can of corn. <laughs> well, at least that has to do with, you know, back in the olden days when the shop boy would go to the, you know, the cans were at the top shelf and he'd use a stick to get the can off the shelf, and he used his apron to catch it in. So he caught it like a can of corn. That's where that comes from. I did not know that. Yes. That is great knowledge. So it actually comes from something. <laughs> but the circus catch, I just don't – I know what they're trying to say. It's an acrobatic catch. I, I get that. But the circus catch – I don't go to the circus to see catches. <laughs> and the same thing, and this is one I hate. This is not in baseball, but it has to do with baseball. When you go to a basketball game and you'll see a full-length pass, and they'll say, that's a baseball pass. How many passes do you ever see in a baseball game? Do we have passes in baseball? Last time I checked, that'd be no. That'd be no, but it's a baseball pass. And that, that drives me and insane. And that, that gets said all the time. All the time. I, I know the what NBA. they're saying because it's an over, you know, he throws overhand. He's throwing the basketball. He's throwing the basketball. Yeah. It's more of a football pass. I'll give you a football pass there, right? That's that's a pass. Because you're throwing it to, like, a receiver. Yeah. Baseball pass. Well, there's no passing in baseball. That's a good one for NBA. What else you got? Oh, I'm just looking at some of these. I, I didn't really look at the list that extensively, <laughs> but I'm just like looking like they have to man. I I, I don't hate it, but when when people say manufac- manufacture runs, well, you got to manufacture runs. Yeah. The, the name of the game is scoring runs, so you have to score runs regardless. Yeah, you have to manufacture. You have to go to the shop. You got some plans and you got the equipment and you're running. Things. But you're not building the runs out there. You just have to get them in. Well, are you man? Are you manufacturing in a factory? Are you using exactly. equipment to have that manufactured? You got a whole bunch of union people in the back. Are, are you done by unions or is it by <laughs> drones? It is, is it by? Are Bob Melvin and, and Mark Kotze bringing the uh, Bobcat on the field? Like, what are we doing? Here? <laughs> this one bugs me, and we hear this a lot. Guy hits a long fly ball that's an that's an out, and you'll hear, "Well, 
If you hit that ball in Fenway, that'd be a homer. Oh, that's or yeah, you, it's on here too. Yeah, you hit that ball in that ballpark, it's a homer. Or if it was hit during the day, it's a homer. No, it was hit here in this ballpark right now. It's not a home run. We can't. We don't know what would happen in another ballpark in another time. It's just I hate that. I that one. I just bugs me. That's a good one. Yeah, because that's said all the time. Especially if that, if that was back at the Coliseum. Yeah. Oh, you know, Coliseum in the day, that's way out of here. No, it's not. So what do the Rockies broadcasters say? Because basically (laughs) every fly ball at sea level, you got, hey, if we were back home, that'd be out of here. I bet you they do say that a bunch, too. I bet. It's just got to be so old. This is just me being me, uh, the one that drives me more. It's not even a cliche. It's just it drives me nuts when people say Grand Slam home run. It's on my list. Grand Slam home run. It's a Grand Slam, and you don't need to put the home run in it. And that was one of Bill King's rules. Right. For broadcasters, there are a few things you can never say. Um, and King Korak has talked about it. He wrote it in his book. And Grand Slam home run, number one. It's not a Grand Slam triple. It's, again, redundant. It's the, the same idea as good success. It's a Grand Slam. Inherently, that means a home run with bases loaded. Grand Slam. It's not a Grand Slam triple. See, so for Bill King, it was you can't say Grand Slam home run. You don't say early on. It's happened earlier, not early on. And you never thank him, like when he says, you know, go to the broadcast the next, you know, here's Ken with the third inning. Thanks, Bill. No, you don't thank him. This is your job. You're going to work. Okay, what the hell is a grand slam now that I think about it? It's a home run with the bases loaded. It's a a four-run home run is what it technically really is. What's what's grand and what's a slam? But that was just the the term that was made. Correct. But you see what I'm saying? It's a grand slam. What's a slam? It's also a breakfast at Denny's. Yes. Yeah. The other one for for me, too. That's been around for (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The other one for me is what people say, complete game game shutout. It's a shutout. Yeah. And then there's this, you know, there's a couple people on Twitter who go, well, no, because you can get a shutout without pitching a complete game in only one instant. If a pitcher on the mound gets taken out before he gets an out and you get the next 27 outs without giving up a run, you will get credited with a shutout and not a complete game. It's happened in my lifetime once on this field. It was Al Leiter uh, got knocked. It was Neil Allen got knocked out of the game. Al Leiter came in, pitched the rest of the game. Lansford, first batter, hit a ball off uh, Neil Allen's knee, knocked him out. Leiter pitched the rest of the game, pitched a shutout. It's the only time I've ever seen it. So I've seen it once. In so the, the starter didn't get an out. Starter didn't get an out. And the other pitcher pitches all 27 outs. He gets credit for the shutout, but not a complete game. Because he didn't pitch the complete game. Right, because the other guy faced the first So, out. yeah, I, I got to – to have a guy come in out of the pen and throw nine innings when he came to the park not knowing when he was going to throw, that probably has not happened a lot in the history no, of the game. No, it's not. And it's, 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 it's so – if you say shutout, he pitched a shutout, you're – he has to have pitched a complete game to get the shutout, except in that one very small injury. So I, I, I hate the complete game shutout. Uh, that one bugs me. Well, this one from uh, Cliche says, well, we just don't like in terms and broadcasting yeah, anymore. <laughs> that's, that's part of that. So here's another one. Uh, rookie mistake. We hear that a lot. Uh, do rookies, I mean, I don't know. It's a rookie mistake. You're, you're a seven-year veteran. You make a rookie mistake. Do only rookies make that mistake? Well, obviously not. You're – a veteran, you made it. So it's just a mistake. Why does that have to be a rookie mistake? I know you're trying to embellish and say that an older player shouldn't make that mistake. but I don't Older like players one. make the same mistakes the younger exactly. players make. 110%? He's given 110%. 100 is not good enough? I mean, you can only give 100. That's, I mean, that's all I know of. I, if I go over that, and that goes to our next one, you have to stay within yourself. <laughs> what does that mean? Stay within yourself. I, I, I'm like, I get it in my body? Yes. <laughs> I, I'm not sure really what that was. Don't try and do too much. Don't try and do too much. Stay within yourself, but give 110%. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> can you imagine how many bad football speeches the coaches give before the games that you can either try to fire people up, they just have the worst cliches? Oh, my God. Stay within yourself, but give 110%. <laughs> and this, this one, I've heard this one over the weekend, too, as I wrote it down. Uh, country hardball, or it's a country fastball. Throw country in front of it. W- what is that? So city fastball or city hardball? It's different than country hardball. We have city mouse and country mouse playing. What? What is that? Mountain hardball. Mountain hardball. Country hardball. It's good old country hardball. W- what does that mean? Country fastball with Robert Blonde. <laughs> that's, maybe that's what I mean. <laughs> we're just we're just talking about Robert at this point. I don't know. That one bugs me. Uh, spring training. 
every spring training, the first time somebody does a bullpen, best he's ever thrown. Best shape of his life. Best he's ever thrown. The catcher will always say, well, he's had his stuff was working better than it ever has before. It's a spring training cliche that we hear over and over again in spring training. Or you'll say here, that's the best he's looked. The best he's looked. The best he's looked. <laughs> like, ah. Uh. And then you say, he plays the game the right way. That's a very overused one. Plays the game the right way. Well, you know, that's the thing. He plays the right way versus this guy, he plays the game the wrong way. Plays the wrong way. He runs to third first. It's really <laughs> confusing. I don't really understand if he plays the game the right way. It's, uh, I mean, we see it. And that's the thing now when you, when you listen to a broadcast – uh, you'll you'll pick up on it. And it really is, you hear more in broadcasting than writing. Journalism has kind of moved away from it a little bit. But you'll hear broadcasters use it. You'll hear players use this stuff in interviews. Uh, and it just it will drive you nuts after a while. I still don't know what kangaroo court really means. <laughs> kangaroo. Do, do kangaroos go to court? I, I don't know. I mean, I, how, how do we bring in kangaroos into baseball? I've never seen a kangaroo <laughs> in a baseball game. And, and when they go to court, do they get fined for having too much in the pouch? Is that where it is? I don't know. I don't know. The kangaroo court. This was awesome. <laughs> this was awesome. So, this was a lot of fun. So did Tony end up winning then? Yes. Well, right, you, you so. had a couple who just uh, – Oh, thank you. Fast money. Thank I'll you. be next time. We'll play Fast Money. All right, buddy. Townie, Cody, it's been fun. We'll do this again. He's a professional. He's a professional. He's a, he's a professional. You know, I'm just happy to be here, take it one day at a time, do what I can to help this show. Good Lord willing, whether you're keeping score or you're working on the television broadcast, you know, you'll take it one day at a time. Stay you within know? yourself, but give that 110. I'm going to give 110%, but, you know, I'm going to – I'm going to play good old country fastball today, and it will be fine. Hey, you're the horse of scorekeeping. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't sound so good. Wait a minute. That was a lot of fun. (laughs) That was really, really good. And now we're going to get serious. Andy Martino, who works for SNY in New York as a baseball analyst, wrote a book called Cheated on the Houston Astros. Wow. Here's Andy. Andy, how are you? Chris Townsend with the Oakland Athletics. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. I, 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 I have been presented with a copy of your book. I haven't read it yet, but as you know, the Oakland A's were the original team to complain to Major League Baseball that something's going on in Houston. And boy, ever since that moment, it's amazing what people like you have discovered what the Astros were doing to get the edge on everybody else when they were playing their home games. That's right. The A's and Bob Melvin uh, were one of many, many teams that felt like something funny was going on, and they were a team that complained early. You know, It's funny that Bob Melvin-A.J. Hinch dynamic is a, a quietly long and winding thing. Uh, Melvin was fired in in Arizona in 2009, and Hinch was the controversial hire who couldn't uh, really couldn't get control of the clubhouse in part because those guys missed Melvin and, and didn't accept Hinch's leadership. All those years later, you have them in Oakland and Houston, and, uh, yeah, there were tensions. There were tensions. Melvin at one point uh, in the A's complained that the Astros' base coaches might have been stealing signs. Uh, the Astros actually believed at one point that the A's were banging a trash can in 2017. Uh, the A's weren't, by all accounts. And, and in fact, there was some thought with the Astros, with some Astros people that heard that grumbling, that it was uh, it was like you're projecting, you're banging the trash can, and you think everyone's doing it. So now you think the A's are doing it. But yeah, there's there's those those tensions between the two teams definitely go back as far as, as anything in this. Well, yeah, I remember Bob told me that at one point A.J. Hinch came over and apologized to Bob. Didn't exactly say what he was apologizing for, but he apologized to Bob. So we've all known this was going on. Now, the one thing for me, Andy, that I like to stress to, to my listeners is, listen, if you're going to set up – because I've talked to our people here. If you're going to set up a camera in center field – and you're going to wire that all the way back through the dugout and below the dugout, there's got to be a lot of people who are involved. Because you just can't tell me that Alex Cora went to Best Buy and bought everything, and then Alex Cora showed up and set everything up. This was an organizational-wide thing, 
And and the fact that they just tried to blame it on a couple people, to me, to at this day, for Major League Baseball in the Astros, this is still a joke. Well, I'll tell you how it went exactly with that camera, uh, which goes a long way toward answering, went a long way toward answering the questions that I had along a similar vein. So in a nutshell, the Astros were a pioneering team in purchasing the Edgertronic camera, which is widespread now. It's like takes pictures at a thousand frames a second and helps pitchers with their grip, hitters with their swing. And they were using it in 20, uh, 2017, excuse me, early in the season to work on legitimate stuff. And their replay room that year was far from the dugout. So in-game, they couldn't use it. So Alex Cora, Carlos Beltran, and probably a few others asked to get a TV monitor closer. They called it a video annex. And uh, there were a couple of feeds available on that TV. One was the Edutronic camera, which they were using for, again, legitimate purposes. And the other was just the center field replay camera. So it actually wasn't a camera that was put in for this purpose. Uh, however, the Astros could use an IP address, basically, to type in and say, we want the Edutronic on this TV monitor, or we want the center field view. It's like a Hawkeye camera like they use for replay, the kind of feed that you'd have in a replay room. So it, it wasn't actually that anyone had to go to Best Buy. It was that it was already there, and they appropriated it for that reason. Wow. So they, I mean, that that's pretty smart. Uh, and, you know, we talk about you win a World Series, you get away with it, and then Major League Baseball wanted to act like, oh, but then they stopped after that, and we're just going to we're, we're, we're gonna get after these four guys. Everybody else is good. All right, there's no way they stopped doing this, right? They kept doing it? They did stop banging the trash can, but the 2018 and 2019 seasons are filled with complaints, allegations, evidence of other things. For example, uh, one time in 2018, the Seattle Mariners get the Minute Maid their uh, GoPro cameras in the dugout under the bench. So the Mariners are like, uh, okay, and they covered them with towels and they played the game. Something like that. That happened. Uh, the Yankees in the 2019 ALCS, 19, believed and continue to believe that there were there was a pattern of flashing lights in the scoreboard which were indicating uh, the pitch that was coming. There was a team that was told by a contact they had on the Astros in 2018 that one of those massage guns, they're called paraguns, were, which are kind of like drills. They're being drilled into the wall behind the home dugout to, to get signed to someone who was sitting on the other side of the wall, literally feeling the drilling. And sure enough, members of that team that got that intel they went around to the home dugout one afternoon. They saw a hole drilled in one particular spot in the, in the concrete wall there. Uh, so this is all 18 and 19. And it, all, all things that there were multiple teams continually trying to uh, raise them out. We're raising the MLB. That is absolutely crazy. And the fact that Jeffrey Lunau really into even this day, I mean, we've heard limited from him was just basically like, oh, this was the lower-level employees. I had nothing to do with this. I, we, I remember we talked to Ned Coletti, used to be the GM of the Dodgers, and we know uh, Ned from being the assistant GM with, with, with the Giants. And I, I asked him, is there any way if you're you're the basically the guy running the franchise, you would know this? He went, no, there's no – you'd have to know. I mean, what, how, how do you feel about Jeffrey Lunau and all this? I think – the important, most important takeaway from him that all sorts of people told me who worked there is that he created a culture where this thing was understood to be something you should pursue. I'm not sure if he's the type of baseball guy that would actually have gotten in the weeds on exactly how science dealing worked. Uh, he wasn't someone, obviously, who came up as a field person in any way, and that might not have been his level of interest or understanding, but what he did do was pressure everyone to come up with new ideas all the time. Uh, he he demonstrated by his actions, like trading for Roberto Ozuna, who, which his front office did not want to do after Ozuna had a bad, not that all domestic violence instances aren't bad, but this one was particularly bad in Toronto. 
and all kinds of things where he said winning is the most important thing. You communicate winning is the most important thing. Other teams are ahead of us. You better keep up. So it's the kind of environment that would be right for some young, very smart, say, intern to come up with a sign-stealing system or for players to understand that the bosses in this organization wouldn't necessarily crack down on that. Uh, that, that to me, was Luno's biggest contribution to it. You know, when we look back, and because of COVID-19 and we only had a 60-game schedule, it, it, it just doesn't seem like A.J. Hinch and Alex Cora really paid the price we thought they were going to pay. Do you think baseball did enough to detour teams from ever doing this again? That's a, that's a, that's a big question, isn't it? I think that uh, the you're right that those guys in this tent got the shortest year-long suspension in history because of the pandemic. Uh, so that was what it was. There was a tremendous amount of humiliation that they endured that I would have to think would be a deterrent for someone else in that situation going forward. And MLB also has tightened up what goes on in clubhouses, what players can do. You know, players can't be uh, – they don't have the freedom to go into the replay room and look at video real time like they did in 2017. The different things have been tightened up over the years. It's harder to do that stuff now. Now, look, trying to get signed is age-old piece of the game that we would obviously expect people to, in a new generation to probably try to figure out different ways to do it. Uh, so, you know, in the short term, though, I, I would think, and it's the same thing with this foreign substance thing. You know, the memo that was issued today was included uh, a, a line that clubs and management could be punished for sticky stuff violations and that's where it actually gets serious because if you're the GM and the manager of a team you don't want to end up where Luno and Hinch ended up so I think that helps yeah that's a really good point and I can't wait to read your book we're gonna have to have you on again once I read it I I, seriously I just got a copy put in front of me today Uh, what's the one thing about your investigation that when you found out you were like Really? They were really doing that? What's that one thing that shocked you? I would say it was the length that surprised me the most because of the great work in the athletic and uh, videos that we've seen from 17 with the trash can. This has kind of been understood to be a 2017 issue. But the stuff I was describing just a few minutes ago, about 18 and 19, uh, well, you don't have a whistleblower like Mike Fires on that kind of stuff. I was told by plenty of sources, this this stuff was either going on or being heavily suspected and complained about by other clubs, not by the media, not by anybody, but actually GMs and managers, coaches of other teams. So it's that fact that it was more of an era than a year probably that surprised me the most. So Jim Crane, the owner of the Astros in 2019, was playing in the AT&T down at Pebble Beach, the the Pro-Am. And he went on the morning show on KMBR 680, the giant station. And, you know, they did the softball interview with him. But then after he was done with the interview, and I know this, he told the guys off the air, hey, listen, there were a lot of people doing this. It just wasn't us. And Jim Crane leaves the press room. I come walking in, and these guys tell me who are doing the morning show. So Jim Crane, off the year, admitted there were other teams that were doing it, and only, only were they punished. How many teams do you think, or give a percentage, were doing a lot of the same things the Astros were doing? It doesn't surprise me to hear that because that's been kind of the Astros' mentality that you still get from some of those guys. Where, And they really did genuinely believe in 17 17- and they were doing the trash can thing, like, look, we just got to keep up. This is what happens in the game. Everyone's doing this. And, yeah, there were a lot – one is a quote in the book where one GM of a team that definitely got into a little bit of code breaking, no crap, trash can bang or anything. This GM said, look, we were all operating in shades of gray on this during those years, but the Astros were black and white, meaning – and, you know, the people from the Astros now say we thought everyone else was doing it. Honestly, everyone else was not doing exactly what we were doing. So – there's this self-justification there of, of everyone was doing it, but I tell you, I, I, I have not heard of any club that pushed it as far as the Astros. Andy, let's end on this. 
the fact that they thought that they could do this and there's going to be turnover on your roster every single year that players would leave their team and not say anything. I mean, how dumb can you be? Yeah, well, that was short-sighted. The garbage can itself is pretty short-sighted, right? You, you can hear it. <laughs> Ultimately, <laughs> that I think if it weren't for those videos that came out with boom, then it's, there wouldn't be nearly the outrage. It, so there are a lot of things about this that you look back on and you go, gee, for a smart organization, that this or that or the other technique might not have been so smart. And you're right. Guys move around. Guys talk. Pitchers don't like this kind of stuff for obvious reasons. Uh, so in a sense, it probably was only a matter of time before someone like Fires came out. And, and he really, whatever his intention was in that interview, and whether he's glad he did it or not, I don't know, but he changed the game. He performed a service, and that was the lower role. Well, Andy, uh, I hate the Astros, and I don't think I'm ever going to promote a book like I'm going to promote yours. I want all our (laughs) fans to read this. I want everybody to know what these cheaters are doing because I've compared them to bank robbers. Okay, so they got to rob the bank. They got to keep the money, and they got to squeal on four guys. Four guys took the fall, but everybody else got to keep the money. They got to keep the World Series rings. They got to keep everything. They robbed the bank and got away with it. It just disgusts me even to this day. Well, I appreciate that that strong emotion is leading you to help sell my book. So yes. I will take it. Thank you. Promote away. Uh, Andy, I'm going to read this book. I cannot wait, and we will have you on again. Great. Thanks so much for having me tonight. And we'll end with the hottest topic in baseball, foreign substances on the ball. Here's Travis Shawcheck, senior MLB writer for The Score. Travis, it's great to have you back on the program. I wish it was under different circumstances, but uh, we've got a lot of stickiness going around in this game. <laughs> uh, we sure do. And after Major League Baseball has kind of looked the other way for years and Knowing this was going on, I, I just think strikeout rates, uh, the record low batting averages had kind of forced their hand to look at some solutions that you know didn't involve you know moving the mound back at midseason or something like that. And this was the low-hanging fruit to, to pick is to enforce a rule on the book. Uh, we can quantify what substances do to spin, what spin, you know, the correlation, the effect on strikeout rate and batting average. Uh, so I, I expect, you know, this is going to have a big performance effect. I think we've already seen some of that. And I think it's going to have a lot of unintended consequences too, whether it's, you know, a rise in player injuries or just difficulty of, uh, enforcing it, things like that. I think the timing is questionable, but I, I do think if baseball wants to get more balls in play and make the game a little more fan friendly, this is certainly a route to go. I, I don't fault them for enforcing the rule book. Uh, I, I do think the timing is uh, in question. It seems like this would have been better to implement at the beginning of the season rather than in the middle of a season. Yeah, and, and as you said, their hands are tied at this point. Uh, the one thing that I do like about this, and I wonder if you agree, is that they've given everybody like time. They've said, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to suspend you. We're going to check you, but you got a couple weeks to figure it out and kind of wean yourself off of this. Uh, I think that's fine. How do you feel about the process, how they're warning you and they're telling you, we don't want to suspend you, so we're going to give you some time? Yeah, I think it's better to give a couple weeks' notice before you know, waking up one day and everything's changed. So I do think that is better than no time at all. And, you know, they sent out the March memo uh, that they were going to be more serious about this year. I think some players felt they weren't going to some players understood uh, understood it that they were not going to, uh, you know, really ratchet up enhancements this year of uh, of enforcing this. But uh, yeah, players that should have been on the radar that MLB was taking this more seriously. And uh, look, when I mean, I experimented this in a piece for the score where where I write, and just by sticking my my hand in a jar of spider tack, I was able to. Improve my pathetic 59 mile hour fastball spin rate by 400 RPM. So that effect is significant. I mean, I think there should be a distinction drawn between rosin and rosin and sunscreen. The performance, 
effect of that isn't as great as some of the stuff that players have really, some players have really weaponized, whether it's firm grip or pelican dip grip or spider tack that can spike your RPMs by 300, 400, even 500. So, uh, yeah, and that has huge benefits for strikeout rate and weaker contacts. So, yeah, I think there should be some distinctions drawn between different types of stuff. But, yeah, to, back to your original point, I, I think giving players at least some warning is better than none at all. Okay, wait a minute. We joked about it. You actually did it. You actually tried it, and it worked? <laughs> yeah, I wrote a piece for the score earlier this month. Uh, we published it on the day the owners had met to talk about sticky substance findings. And, yeah, I went through rosin and sunscreen rosin mixture. I used pine tar. I used firm grip. I used spider tack. And uh, I threw with a couple college arms. We published all the results. And, yeah, there are huge differences between, I mean, using nothing at all uh, and and then using rosin, we got 150, 200 RPM bump and then going up the list, you know, sunscreen and rosin wasn't that effective. We found it wasn't really much different than just using rosin. But when we went up to the firm grip aerosol spray or the spider tack, which was really the stickiest stuff that people have been talking about, <laughs> I got a 400 RPM bump. So you could imagine what uh, you know, the effect of that for a, a 95 mile an hour fastball versus a, a 59 mile an hour fastball. It's uh, that's too easy. I mean, pitchers can't be using spider tack out there. It's just a huge, huge performance edge. I, I think there should be some room for debate on sunscreen and rosin, which I think is going to be really tough to enforce. But uh, some of the other stuff pitchers are weaponizing and uh, yeah, it's different. I mean, the thing I've heard is the pushback I've heard as well. Guys have always, Pictures have always used foreign substance. It's always been part of the game, and and that's true. But what's different is there's spin tracking technology everywhere now. Uh, I I mean I myself can go into a private training facility, use their spin tracking Repsoto unit, experiment, and see the difference. See the immediate. I get immediate feedback on what works and how it works. And pitchers didn't have that access until the mid, probably around 2015 is when that kind of access to that technology began. And that's when StackCast was up in Major League Stadium. So pitchers, at least curious ones, have learned how to weaponize this. And that has never existed before. This is, I know uh, the commissioner said that is released today. And I I agree with it. This is different. This isn't uh, your father's era of porn substance. This isn't Gaylord Perry going to Vaseline <laughs> Ball. This is something very different. Hey, if you could figure out how to fix my golf game with this stuff, I'll pay you whatever you want, and I'm willing to cheat. If you could figure out how to do that for for us golfers, that would be incredible. You might want to spray a little firm grip on the club head and see if you get some more backspin. It's uh, it's certainly possible. <laughs> I'm willing to cheat. There is no question. <laughs> well, you know that you know if you think about what baseball needs to do going forward, because the, these new balls are like cue balls. They're so slick. There's no, you know, I, it, it, it's just that they're hard to throw. Uh, what, what does baseball need to do to at least give the pitchers something? Because I know the hitters want them to have grip because guys don't want to get drilled by 98-mile-an-hour fastballs because there's no seams and, it, and, the, and the ball feels like a slick cue ball. No, it's a good point, and... Uh, yeah, I know in Japan they have a tackier ball, and I, I believe baseball's looked into that with, with Rawlings. Uh, I don't know if that is on the immediate pipeline, but yeah, pitchers do. You can't throw a ball without anything on it, which is why there's been rosin back on the mound forever. Uh, and I, rosin is very effective. I mean, it's basically a derivative of pine sap. It is sticky. I used it. It gives you a 150-200 RPM bump off of using nothing. So that's the baseline and that's pretty good. So we've heard a lot of pitchers say that, Oh, without spider, you know, with all this out, the stuff, I can't throw strikes. I'm going to hit guys. And I think if they had nothing, that might be true, but I don't know. I think rosin alone remedies a lot of that issue. And I know just since June 3rd, when baseball, the previous memo when they said, Hey, we are going to do something and we'll fill you in on the details later. And the, the two weeks since then, roughly uh, spin rate has declined. Uh, batting average has bumped up. Hitters are batting 246 the last 12 or 13 days versus 236 on the season. Strikeout rate has dipped a little bit. 
spin. 67% of pitchers have had a spin rate decline, but walk rate is actually uh, down. Uh, hit by hit by batters, that rate is the same. So there doesn't there seems to be a few pitchers already lessening usage, and we're not seeing a lot of command issues. So I do think that point is a little overblown. I think Rosin alone uh, remedies a lot of that, but we're going to find out starting on the 21st. We're going to, we're going to see if hit batters spike. We're going to see the effects of this. Hopefully I saw Tyler glass now said he felt he was injured because he stopped using sunscreen and rosin. I, I hope, you know, I would hate to see a rash of injuries. That is certainly not uh, a consequence of this. Anyone wants to see, but we're, we're going to find out more. I, uh, I think, you know, again, I think it makes a lot of sense. Is, is this a way to improve the product because of where strikeout rates were going? It just, it's not a fun game for, you know, kids, the future paying customers who you want to love the game. It's, if the ball's not in play, it's not as much fun to watch. So I totally understand why MLB is addressing this. I, the thing I just wonder about is the in-season uh, abrupt change. Well, I, I got to ask you about this because um, allegedly, and I always like to when you when you start with things like this, you say allegedly. I was tipped off last night that there was a tube of men's hair gel in the Angels dugout. Why would hair gel <laughs> be in? Like, like, could you use hair gel? Like, why would there be hair gel in a dugout in Major League Baseball? You know, I don't. Did someone want to look good for their post-game interview? <laughs> right? Like, what? What? Like, why yeah, would that be there? It, it shouldn't be there. I when I was testing substances, I asked a minor league pitcher, "Hey, do, do any of you guys use hair gel, bro cream, whatever you want to call it?" And he said they didn't. But uh, there's no. I'm sure guys have experimented with it. And uh, just like uh, Harold Mazingo, a former minor league pitcher. He runs a private facility and he's experimented with all kinds of stuff. He found super blow pops or super sticky and uh, he's experimented <laughs> with garlic. I mean, he's tried everything. So, uh, yeah, the more, uh, I'm sure hair gel in concert with something would be effective. So policing this stuff is going to be another challenge. And uh, I sort of, I don't think umpires signed up for checking pitchers fingertips ten times a game, but that's where we're going. And it's going to be interesting, interesting television for sure. Yeah, like what are you going to do if you do you, you use copper tone and LA looks, LA looks the famous hair gel? Like how 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 are you going to yeah. test for that? Like I I, I mean I, I guess spider tack would be kind of easy because I know it's like a dark substance you could see it, but how are you going to see hair gel and sunscreen? I uh, it's going to if you have a clear sticky substance it's. Are the umpire, I mean, I guess umpires are going to have to physically touch hands. And then if it's a day game, pitchers need to be able to use sunscreen to some, you know, to protect themselves. I, uh, so I think sunscreen is a really tricky one and hair gel too. And, <laughs> you know, um, pitchers aren't going to stop looking for an edge. I mean, I do think this is going to have a heavy deterrent effect, but it's not going to deter everyone. And people are going to look for things that aren't as easily detectable. So. It'll always be a cat and mouse game. Maybe, maybe they'll come up with a TSA style screening station where they swab your hand and they put a quickly and look at if you have a banned sticky substance. I don't know. It, it raises a lot of questions, but uh, again, I think just the pictures I describe as weaponizing sticky stuff. They've just created this huge performance edge over batters and the pitchers who either aren't using it or don't benefit from it, like a a two-seam heavy pitcher or a change-up heavy pitcher wouldn't necessarily benefit from sticky stuff. They want generally less spit on those pitches. So uh, I do think leveling the playing field is important too. Well, if this means more balls in play, like we've actually seen with A's games, because, you know, we're one of the teams that have been so strikeout, walk, home run heavy. I welcome it because watching guys hit 220 and swinging for the fences is getting old. Wouldn't you say if this will put more balls in play, this will be good for all of us? Oh, yeah. No, I totally agree with that. And uh, I think from the big picture view, the 30,000-foot view down, it's I think it's perfectly reasonable for MLB to, to enforce this rule, and I think it's going to have a big impact on balls in play. I mean, like I said, uh, the last 12, 13 days since the June 3rd memo, batters are hitting 246, which is – like 15 points above the previous 11 days or 12 days. So 
maybe there was just variance in season, but it seemed like there was an immediate there was an immediate spin drop, and uh, there were more balls in play, more hits, and that's good for baseball. I mean, could you imagine kids playing little league baseball if there's a thirty three percent strikeout? If the ball is never in play, oh, everyone would yeah. be standing around kicking dirt, kicking dandelions in the outfield, and that's that's not how baseball was meant to be played. It's just the pitchers have gotten too good. The velocity is too good. The pitch design is too good. You cannot put spider tack on top of that and think you're going to have like a uh, an enjoyable product to watch for a huge segment of of the fan base. I think a certain portion of baseball fans will love the game no matter what it looks like or how it's played. But to broaden the customer base and the fan base, you the game has to look a certain way, and this is the easiest way to to remedy some of those issues. What did you think about Pete Alonso and him talking about changing the baseball based on who was going to be free agents, like the the big class? Was it going to be pitchers? Was it going to be hitters? That we're going to change the ball to hurt whoever is going to be the strongest free agent class? What did you think about that? Because he said it's fact. Yeah, I, I have my doubts. I I don't even if you want to buy that conspiracy theory, I think it'd be tough to kind of execute and. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting thoughts, but I, I kind of doubt them. Yeah, it'd be pretty tough. And I mean, that was, <laughs> I mean, I look back on as much as I like a good conspiracy theory, it, it's kind of, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's kind of proved, but you know what? It, it doesn't, it go to show us that baseball has a very limited time, but they need to figure out how to regulate their equipment. When we're talking about how the bats are now different uh, baseballs, players are not sure what baseballs they're using. Isn't it imperative right now that baseball gets a hold of their equipment and figure it out? Yeah, and they, I, I think it's, you don't want to have the ball be a story every year, whether or not, you know, I think some of the ball changes have been kind of overblown to an extent. So like, this is supposed to be a dead and ball season. The last two weeks, the home run to fly ball rate isn't too much different than 2019, you know, the record high year. So, I think some of that is overblown, but you're right. I mean, uh, it's not good for baseball to have every year there's a new story about the ball or that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, they, they own Rollins now, so you'd think they should get that in order. And I think just getting sticky stuff lessened out of the game to some extent would go a long way to, to solving a lot of these problems. Uh, uh, so <laughs> it just seems like anytime there's a national story in baseball lately, it's a scandal. And, uh, you know, maybe any publicity is good publicity, but I, I don't know that you want <laughs> scandals to be your only uh, storylines that are generating, you know, headlines everywhere in, in mainstream, uh, you know, public discourse and media coverage. So, yeah, I think getting the ball, getting the sticky stuff out would, uh, or the ball, you know, kind of regulated would, would be good. Let's end on this. Where is the sport going? I don't know if it's neuroscience or they're all. Everybody's always looking to get an edge data wise and, and how to get better at this game. Uh, you know, since you've written the book, the MVP machine. Where is baseball going? Where's the next edge? <laughs> well, it was maybe it was sticky stuff. God, <laughs> maybe it's a clear, odorless, sticky substance, but. Uh, no, it's a good question. I know, uh, you know, some teams have become a lot more interested in the cap- AI capabilities. Uh, you mentioned in neuroscience. I, I think the psychology of the game, just better understanding that, could be, uh, could be huge. I've always thought, you know, if you had a, if you had a player with, you know, the yips, if you if you could have had a, a young Rick and Keel work with someone to get through that, or Pedro Alvarez when you got moved up third base with the Pirates, that, that would be huge. So. I want, we've been so data heavy lately and media coverage and baseball front office interests, but I wonder if some of the softer sciences, psychology and that sort of thing are kind of under, under, under you know, not um, underappreciated, not employed, uh, integrated well enough. So I think that could be an area too. Well, we've been telling everybody to read the MVP machine. We always appreciate your time and let's talk soon. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it. We want to thank David Feldman, Andy Martino, and Travis Shawcheck for stopping by A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.
Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.